Aloha from the Island Lost fans, and welcome to a special edition of The Transmission. This is a podcast devoted to the show Lost on ABC. I'm Jen. And I'm Ryan. And once again, we're breaking into our Season 3 review to bring you more audio from the recent celebration of Lost at the Hawaii International Film Festival. A couple of weeks ago, we shared producing and directing a hit show with Lost co-executive producer Gene Higgins. And if you missed that one, be sure to check our archives. Today, we're moving on to the second of three master classes. The topic for this class was bringing the design of each episode together and the panel featured production designer Zach Robler, director of photography John Bartley, construction coordinator Michael Crow, and location manager and associate producer Jim Triplett. And of course this panel was moderated by a friend and reporter for the Honolulu Star Bulletin, Catherine Nichols. Now this was my favorite of the three classes but in two weeks we'll share the third and final master class on props and costumes and I think that was your favorite. Yeah it was. Now as you enjoy this latest class remember you only have a few days left to get in your feedback for our next regularly scheduled podcast as part of our season three rewatch. So get out those DVDs and revisit episodes 15, 16, and 17 of season three. That's One of Us for Juliet, Catch 22 for Desmond, and DOC for Sun. We'd love your thoughts and feedback for our podcast this coming Sunday. So please email us at lost at hawaiiup.com. Comment on the blog at hawaiiup.com slash lost or call the lost line at 815 815- 3100808 by Friday, November 20th. Remember, everyone who emails us during the hiatus review is entered to win special lost prizes from Comic-Con, The Others Lost Band, and Nikki Stafford, the author of The Lost Unlocked series. Also next week, more filming updates from here on the island, but if you can't wait, I often break shooting news on my blog at hawaiiweblog.com. And as always, you can get more of us than you could possibly ever want by following us on Twitter. I'm at Hawaii. And I'm Mrs. Hawaii. And now, without further delay, the Hawaii International Film Festival Celebration of Lost Masterclass Number 2, bringing the design of each episode together. Aloha. Welcome to the second Masterclass as part of the HIF Celebrates Lost event. October 17th is Lost Day at HIF. Thanks, all of you, for coming. Many of you were in the first class. It was wonderful. Tell already the second one will be as well because the extraordinary lineup we have here this year. We tried to show you behind the scenes at Lost a bit to show you uh, production folks particularly what uh, uh, production in Hawaii is all about. So we're very excited. And thank ABC for making this possible. Noreen is running around. Donna here from ABC. Uh, Aaron, Andrea as well have all come in to help us with this. So I thank them very much for their support uh, to make this all possible. Uh, there's one more master class after this and then everything shifts into Y. Kiki, Lostwise, an evening with Damon Lindelof and Carlton Cuse, plus four of the uh, actors, uh, Terry O'Quinn, uh, Yoon Jin, Michael Emerson, and uh, Jorge Garcia will all be there this evening. Also on just a couple tickets left, so you should move quickly if you want to get the tickets to that event. Uh, as you probably know from the first class, it's open for uh, questions and answers. The one thing you really can't ask about because it just isn't fair is what's being shot right now, the final season, because these guys are not going to tell you. And I know you're intrigued, but you just can't ask them those kind of things, okay? So it gives me great pleasure to welcome and to introduce Catherine Nichols, a writer here in town who's extraordinary, gives great coverage of FIF and uh, entertainment and Hawaii, plus many other things. So welcome, Catherine. Thank you. 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 Thank you.
very much. I'm thrilled to be here with uh, these guys, a couple of whom I've worked with on stories and uh, what they do behind the scenes. You probably don't notice those details, but if they weren't there, it, it just wouldn't work. So it completely makes the show. So it'll be really interesting to hear what they have to say today. Um, on the end, we have Mike Crow, who's head of construction. We have Zach Grobler next to him, who is the production designer. And John Bartley, who is director of photography. And Jim Triplett, who finds all of those incredible locations around Oahu. And together, they all make them look like places all over the world. So. by just kind of going down the line and letting them tell you a little bit about what they do and they have some great clips to introduce and they'll give you um, all the details on how they put a, put this together. Okay, thanks. Well, real quick, uh, yeah, I'm the construction coordinator. Uh, it is my job to do, first and foremost, one main thing, to bring this gentleman's visions to life. He designs the show, we make it happen. Could you guys talk into the mics? Can you guys hear in the back? Okay? You hear in the back? Okay, if you guys could use the mics, that'd be great. <laughs> Production design is really about the um, look and the style of the show. And it's a, a, a real collaboration between different departments and different people to make it possible. Uh, normally, I would come up with an idea and a couple of sketches, but I need all these other guys to help me make it possible. So... Uh, John would bring on the um, lighting, Mike would build it, and Jim needs to find the location. Uh, you know, without them, I really actually have no idea, <laughs> no design. <laughs> John? Well, you know, Zach comes up with these great plans and, and, and uh, pictures, uh, reference pictures. He spends a lot of time doing research, and it all goes to uh, making the show. And then I look at his research, and... Um, read the script and uh, come up with the look of the show uh, as to what the uh, producers want and, and what their vision is because uh, they're all writers and producers and uh, they have a vision for the show and I try and make it happen for them. And as Catherine said, I find all those wonderful locations that you see on Lost every week. So we'll talk a little bit about the process and what we go through uh, from when we first get an outline to uh, when we start filming the show uh, today. And it's so incredibly fast, you can't believe what they do. <laughs> do you guys want to start with a clip? Sure. Okay, we'll start with a clip, and then they can talk about it. This is where I work, and you shouldn't be here. This is a, a tattoo parlor. That was your big secret? The, the envelopes? Your gift? I am not a tattoo artist. Okay. I think 
think it might be interesting to hear sort of the step-by-step process that they went through to create this whole scene in Thailand from finding the place to the design to everything. So if you guys could walk us through that, that would be great. I I can start with uh, finding the location. Uh, That was uh, 4th Street Mall outside of the old Blaisdell Hotel. Uh, we looked at several options. Uh, we, we got our script as to start the process. We got our script. Uh, we generally have a concept meeting, uh, which has the department heads, our producer, and our director uh, in that meeting. We talk about, uh, Zach does research. He brings that into that meeting. Uh, we talk about the flavor of the show and uh, how, how we, what direction we want to go with it. And, uh, generally, right after that meeting, we jump in a van and uh, go look at locations. And uh, we pretty much found this one one right away. We uh, it was that was one day's work, so that was about 12 hours to for us to to make that uh, to to film that, and three or four days of construction and prep to set it up and then break it down. Uh, we shot that, as I said, at Fort Street Mall, and we also worked in Indigo's restaurant in their opium room was the tattoo parlor uh, for the show, and that was all done in a day. When uh, Jim showed us this 4th this, uh, Street Mall, I tried to figure out a, a way to make it look like Thailand, and I thought, what if we did it mostly with lights at night, and you just do a lot of lights, a lot of signs? That, that would make it possible to, to actually do it in one day. And I spoke to John about it and made a couple of drawings. I think we've got a slideshow that'll show us about the drawings. And, uh, you know, the Cedric and crew went with us with uh, uh, miles of rope light and uh, uh, neon light, anything we could find, uh, bar signs. And uh, it was a long day of hard work, and I think it looks just like Thailand. Yeah, it, it, it turned out very well. I was uh, quite surprised. and I sort of had an idea of what was going to happen down there, but... Uh, we don't really get a chance to pre-light things very much, but we did have some lights in there before, uh, you know, when we got there. So it was, uh, it actually came together really well and uh, put a lot of color into it and had fun with it. The, uh, doing a set like that is really difficult, especially when you're dealing with foreign languages. Uh, a lot of our crew, uh, 90% are from the islands here and then the other 10 are from uh, Los Angeles. Uh, so if it weren't for Zach's diligence in making sure everything's right, that a sign is not upside down and you're reading it wrong, well, it looks normal to me because that's different language. Um, we have a lot of fun with it, but a lot of the difficult things are is, you know, being 4th Street Mall, um, even when we do other cities that we transform, we can't attach to buildings. So we have to be pretty creative in how we're going to stand things up, how we're going to hang signs and how we're not gonna destroy the city, yet do it in a very fast pace. So it, uh, it's challenging. You know, if it wasn't challenging, it wouldn't be fun. There's actually a lot more film than what you saw. There's, uh, it's been edited together and, and several things cut out and because uh, to make the episode, which is roughly about 43 minutes, uh, some things have to go and uh, we always shoot, uh, uh, we always give a good, uh, good chunk of, um, film to each scene. So it's uh, some things are missing. It's a bit a little disappointing sometimes when you look at it and you say, well, we had a lot more shots there <laughs> and there was a lot more set, but it's, it's okay. 
<laughs> Something I wanted to address to, to Jim, because he's lived here since the 70s, right? So obviously he doesn't get an outline of a script. Um, I think you get the outline first before you even see the real thing. You guys do, right? We do. And he's got to brainstorm what might work. He can't just sort of start driving around randomly <laughs> thinking, you know, oh, this fit in? So he's got to go run through his mind about what what might work in a certain scene. Can you tell us about how you go through that thought process a little bit? Well, we, as, as Catherine said, we, we get a outline, which is, a, is approximately 25 pages, that is a pretty close representation to what the full script would be, which is uh, about 50 to 60 pages. So we have most of the scenes uh, outlined for us, so we know where we're going, if we're looking for a school, if we're looking for a Thailand street, if we're, you know, anything under the sun can be on there. So that's, that's our Bible. Uh, we were handed a new one uh, Friday night uh, as I was leaving work, and uh, typically I'll run through that and uh, read read the scene and uh, come up with a few ideas and, and jot them down on the on the outline, and uh, then we will go in and and on Monday morning we'll have a concept meeting about that. And as I said, Zach will have some research. I do a little research to uh, try to be true to the story and and. Uh, have a general idea of where we can start looking, and uh, ultimately, uh, Zach, uh, uh, John here, our director, and our producers will ultimately pick the locations uh, that I show. Did we have some photos to show on the Thailand Street? Uh, yes. You. Okay. Um, one more thing I'd like to add for, for yeah. Jim is that there was probably about 20 or 30 shops, and he had to make a deal with each one of them. To actually get that whole block. That's, okay, so that's, that's, that's fascinating. That's part of that. Also falls under my department is is that we do most of the permitting, or we do all of the permitting, through the state and city film offices. Uh, we are the contact or the liaison for the for the show. Uh, most of the departments work uh, amongst themselves, and uh, my department and the locations. Uh, does deals with the store owners, uh, coordinates with the college, who was, that was the college that we were uh, looking at there. Uh, so we coordinate with them, we try to make it all work for our needs and uh, without being too disruptive to the businesses and all that uh, when we come to visit. You know, to make matters worse for Jim, is I wanted to put lights inside all those offices and, and stores. and. It's a pretty tough task, you know, to get those people to leave their doors open at night and stuff. <laughs> he, he did a really great job on that one. Well, that was a tough one. There's another, there's another element to that, because I know that when you start moving around, you guys aren't really a small operation, and you have confidentiality issues, and word leaks out. Um, can you tell us how you deal with some of that? We have, we have security on the set, but... Uh, Typically, we we're in public places uh, where we ask people to uh, have a little respect and to not take a lot of photographs. We will usually invite them in to watch from a certain area so they feel a part of it, and uh, we're welcome to do that. And uh, we just ask that they are not putting it on the Internet and trying to spoil our show for the rest of the audience. Do you have also have issues like with the store owners though when you start approaching them? Store owners, yeah, they they tend to get a little upset when the uh, convoys of trucks start rolling in, and then Jim lets us know that by the way, you've got three trucks parked in front of a business that uh, we don't own. So it it his job is tough. It's one of the toughest. Um, 
And it, it gets a little hectic on shoot days when we take over a, a street. Well, and, and, and you know, they need, they need room to work, so it's, uh, it, it's, it's, it's choreographed. They, uh, they have to, to go to great lengths to uh, make it work out in the public. And like Mike was saying about fastening signs and not drilling holes into the sides of buildings, and uh, we, it, it, they're magical in how they can come in, transform something, film it, and a day later you'll never know we were there. Actually, they do better than that because a lot of places uh, they leave improved, much improved. And I don't know, it might be a good opportunity to comment on that. Like Camp Erdman, I think, won an award after you guys have been there. For, I mean, it, it needed some help, but that's exactly. So, I mean, in Makapu'u, I mean, you guys got rid of a lot of graffiti there and everything. So, can you guys expand a little bit on that, on how you take pride in, in improving where you've been, not just leaving it the way it was? Well, uh, Two years ago, we were looking for, uh, we had Zach and I, Zach came into town and we start a few weeks before production starts. And uh, we were given a couple of tasks to go find uh, our new other tin in our show and uh, also Hydra Island, which was a, a new set where the uh, cages were placed with uh, Kate and Sawyer. So uh, Zach and I drove around for I don't know. We had, we had, for once, we had a couple of weeks to try to figure these things out, and uh, we looked at various sites. We looked at a military base, uh, Iroquois Point, as a possibility, but the planes fly over that too much for sound, so that didn't work. Uh, we looked. We were, we thought about going out to one of the new uh, neighborhoods out in Eva and just taking over a cul-de-sac and uh, proposed maybe the studio should buy a couple houses and we'll just work off of work out of those houses for a while and they can sell them when we're done. That didn't go over so well. Uh, then we Zach and I started thinking, well, they don't have cars or they didn't at that time, and so we really didn't want to have streets or mailboxes or telephone poles, so. We were brainstorming and, uh, you know, actually sleeping at night when we get some of our best ideas. We thought, well, gee, what about a camp? And we thought, so we drove out to Camp Erdman and Zach knew it right away and uh, went to town and made drawings. Uh, he will take a picture, Photoshop that picture into what he hopes it looks like. He built a little uh, a packet to take back to the writers in Los Angeles, and uh, he did that, and he also did that with one other set we found during, during that expedition. And uh, the writers looked at it and uh, said, we don't need to look any further. We had, there were a couple options in there, uh, the best on the, for the first page. And uh, they looked at it and said, it's a home run. This is where we want to go. And Zach came back, went to work. Mike started uh, painting, cleaning up, uh, put a second story on one building, built porches on the on the camp, uh, uh, the little their little cabins, and painted it all up. And uh, the North Shore community gave them an award for uh, you know the, the the improvement in the looks of the camp. Yeah, matter of fact, we even took down buildings that uh, we. That we visually did, them and got rid of them. We visually didn't like them, and they didn't want them, so <laughs> Mike came in and demolished them and cleaned it up. The uh, joke is we were trying to make it look like a socialist utopia. <laughs> you, you did well. <laughs> I have a question about your budget. Are you told a number for each episode, this is how much you can spend for construction and making this, getting this done, or is, or is that a sort of a, a fluid number that you have to go then pitch and present 
two producers in the studio each time. Uh, we have a pattern that we, we have to follow. We have an episodic pattern that we have to, you know, hold to. Um, some of the times we cannot hold to it due to what the writers write, or for instance, if we have actor problems, actor availability, uh, they're only available on certain days, that's it, and we need those sets. Um, so that becomes a little problematic. Other than that, yes. Um, and then Zach goes to, he goes to town designing, and we try and give him his, his ideas and his visions for that amount of money. And it, it, it's good. It's interesting. We uh, pull a lot of rabbits out of our hat. Uh, my magic wand uh, at the beginning of the season starts out about four feet long, and usually by the finale of the season, it's about that. Mike, this one is. Great. Well, I was told we don't have those photos from the Thailand okay. set after all, so. Would you like to move on to the next clip, and maybe we can have some more to discuss there? So I think we have the swan hatch construction next, is that correct? Okay, so if we could roll that, that would be great. You don't need to wait, we'll get it right back with Zinski. Dude, what is this place? What's up with all the secrecy? Don't know. Don't care. Hey, Glenn! What's the serial number that goes on the hatch lid? Four, eight... Fifteen... Sixteen... Hold on a minute, it's smudged. 42. 42. How the hell did you know that? Because they're building our hatch. What hatch? The one that crashed our plane. <laughs> Little bonus advertisement there at the end. Okay, who wants to start talking about this? Tell us, tell us all about Mike. His vision. Well, it, they wanted us to build a construction site, and we had to dig a very big hole. So that, that had a lot of problems. Mike. Zach came to me with uh, his ideas and designs, um, which were fantastic. He, uh, him, and the art department had made up a model. Uh, presented it to Gene and uh, Jack and everybody was on board and the next problem about that was to get the depth okay well done out in Heia which sea levels right there so what we had to do was Jim and uh, Zach had to find the area that they were comfortable with dig a test hole make sure we could get somewhat of the depth that we needed or at least half of it uh, without striking water which we did, and to pull that off, we dug the pit and used the uh, soil that came out of the pit to build up berm walls to give it double the depth. So what you're seeing on film is not really as deep as what you think it is. At the deepest point, we only dug down about 11 and a half feet, and it looks a lot deeper than that. 
Yeah, it's because of the fences around the sides. You put the fences up and it all looked a lot deeper. Yeah, we, we dug the sides. Uh, four feet of it we made vertical and built fake uh, uh, foundation form panels and planted those on the side, which did, it didn't hold that, it didn't hold any uh, soil back, but it looked good and it gave the uh, appearance of it's a lot deeper than it is and then just started piling the dirt up all the way around it and then added greens and uh, a green screen on the low end. There was a certain point where we couldn't get the depth, which was obvious, and we also needed crew access. So green screen some of that and then fudge a few other little areas. Then uh, two days before we had to shoot, uh, there was a lot of rain and it flooded. <laughs> yeah. We had a hole full of water. <laughs> Those are the phone calls that I really enjoy at 2 o'clock in the morning. That, uh, the set is three feet underwater and we're filming in 12 hours. Okay, so yeah, my crew scrambled hard, uh, got it pumped out, got it cleaned up. Um, we made it happen, but it, it gets uh, challenging. The show must go on. <laughs> you never want to hold up the camera. And I'd like to have the gym and his hands full getting permits to be able to dig there as well. Part of the issue is how fast we move as a company. We uh, shoot an episode and, and we have eight days of principal <laughs> photography and we have two days of, of second unit. Uh, so it's shot in ten days and we typically have that much time to prep and get the next show ready. So when one director is out filming with the crew, uh, a second director is out uh, with uh, alternating DP and Zach and I do every show where we work with the uh, rotating directors and uh, one is shooting and one is prepping and uh, there's like I say two days overlap so uh, uh, the new director will take over and the director that has been shooting for eight days uh, does that two days of second unit so we have two units working uh, so we have eight to ten days to put a show together and that's to uh, permit everything uh, this was a tough one because we we had we needed grading permits and uh, that's a challenge and we we picked an area where uh, we've worked before which helped that process but any of you that have uh, got, gone out and tried to get building permits and grading permits you know the time that is uh, that takes and to do something in a couple of weeks or in eight to ten days is next to impossible and we wouldn't be able to do that without the state film office and in this case the city film office who interacts with the governmental agencies and uh, helps us fast track a lot of these things. Yeah, and if, if I can add, the, uh, the film office was the key point in making a lot of this happen because we did have to pull uh, building permits, we had to bring in a soils engineer, we brought in an arborist, uh, we did everything by the book, and to do things by the book takes a lot of time. Well, time is what we don't have. Time's always been our enemy, and thanks to the Film uh, Commission, they, they helped us out immensely and made it all come together rapidly. Do we have photos of this con the construction of this site? Because um, the other one's gone. Disappeared. <laughs> because it would be great if we could roll some of those photos and have these guys kind of talk us through the process of no, no, okay, never mind. <laughs> That's okay. You know, there, was a, there was a lot of work on this location. Uh, it's more than what you see. Probably about six days in total. Right. I see, remember, and and we shot all day. You know, where the sun starts coming up at one 
one uh, corner and uh, leaves in the other corner. And we probably had three cameras going just about all the time, every setup. Can you talk about shooting with, I think it's Juliet and Sawyer and, you know, the, her fall and then at the end, can you kind of walk us through how you shot that or did, was that shot in an entirely different place? Well, um, most, most of that was there. About a week before we, we had meetings with the stunt coordinator, uh, Mike Chrysler, and with the special effects, Archie Conan, and I basically did a choreography on a layout board of you know where each vehicle is where each person would be with these guys and they figured out you know what happens and what sequence you know things would happen and it was all done in sequence mostly yeah. so it's all done on the site and then it's uh, John's job to place the camera and light the sets and as he said uh, I'll speak for him since he's not but Hawaii is a very difficult place to film we're outside you have clouds going by, you have changing weather, and uh, if you'd like to speak to some of the challenges of lighting our sets that turn out so well, uh, it's... Uh, I don't want to start complaining. <laughs> <laughs> and I have no control over that. No. <laughs> but the, the weather is a, is a real factor in all this, and it's very, it's very difficult, A, to anticipate what's going to happen today. And uh, trying to make all the shots match, like it all takes place in uh, in one time. So if you're shooting a scene in the morning and then it takes all day to do it, and all of a sudden the sun's in a completely different place, how do you deal with that? I get very unhappy. <laughs> <laughs> it happens every day. <laughs> it's always a joy for them to, you know, finish a day out and it's nice and dry, and we have a really neat cloudburst, you know, at three o'clock in the morning, and so everyone shows up and there's mud and. All the foliage is wet, and they finished the day before. It was nice and dry, so it's to scramble again. Constant adjustment. I think I've interviewed a lot of people associated with Lost, and, and the biggest challenge repeatedly is the weather, the weather, the weather, because other people can shoot in a controlled environment, right? And you guys don't have any control, or at least very little. Worst of all... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, John. Worst of all... It's the weather and the schedule. Yeah. Mm. Worst of all, um, uh, uh, when Jim, Jim uh, shows us these locations and he sells us on it, it's always beautiful weather when we go to shoot. <laughs> That's true. As I say, no control over that. Yeah, the, only, the one beautiful thing about the island here is when I say cloudburst, that's all it is, is a cloudburst. And, it, and we're very fortunate that when it does rain and things do get muddy, uh, we usually have a backup plan. We'll either have uh, covered mountains of soil standing by, um, things like that. You always have to have a plan B. But yeah, we're very fortunate that it does not rain for weeks and months on end. And when it does, now we're in deep trouble. But, remember, uh, the, remember the 40 days and 40 nights yeah. like and, a few years and, ago? And we, and we filmed every day. Yeah. We had rain in our show. Uh, um, I could do actually a lot of preparation in the pit that we dug. We had gravel on the ground and we had uh, drainage holes at the back, but it still wasn't enough. But you know, we do prepare. Yeah, we. Uh, no one, no one can foresee a flash flood, and that's what happened when the pit filled up. We had a downpour, and uh, it wiped out our sediment pond. that took the overflow of water. Should our set take on water, and it flashed through that, took out the sediment pond, filled that up, and filled our setup. So it, uh, we got through it, 
It was uh, a challenge, and we moved on. Can you speak to how many people are working under you at any given time? Because, I mean, to get these sets conceived and constructed in such short order, I mean, just imagine what they put together in a matter of a couple of days, and you're managing a whole lot of people doing a whole lot of different things. Can no, talk about Zach that? and I. Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> I work the nights, he works the days. <laughs> The uh, uh, design office is typically a couple of art directors, uh, set designers, uh, uh, coordinators, and we kind of like the architect's office who does all the drawings and the plans and the prints. Then it goes to Mike, uh, you know, who does all the construction, and he's got plasterers, sculptors, carpenters, a huge... Uh, at, at any given point, um, I will average between my paint staff, uh, plaster sculpting and prop makers, and laborers, uh, I will average about 35, and it will go as high as, for instance, with the bomb chamber, we had 80. Um, I pretty much cleaned out the local here on the island. <laughs> it, I mean, it was, it was good. We, uh, we manned it. But uh, at certain times, a lot of people doesn't always get the job done, because if you only have a certain amount of space to work in, more bodies is not going to help you. Then uh, Besides the construction, we have a, a, a decoration department, set dressing, and that would have a swing gang of about five to ten people who can move furniture around, truckloads of uh, furniture gets moved. Uh, we've got a decorator, we've got buyers who go and shop for all these things we need. Then we have a greens department who's responsible for, uh, you know, for all the plants and all the flowers. Uh, you know, lawn can be dyed to, to be more green. Trees can be planted and moved around. Um, uh, then we would have a, a special effects department that also, you know, work with us. That are explosions for, uh, 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 that are responsible for explosions, uh, wind effects, uh, you know, any moving object or machinery like the crane that you saw moving in the uh, pit. And uh, uh, we've got wardrobe and makeup that we also have to coordinate with, so that the colours that they wear don't clash with the colours of our decor. Right. So, so it's, or they can't wear green if you have a green screen going there, right? <laughs> yeah. So it's approximately 50 to, to about 50 to 60 people. Oh, amazing. And on, on, a, on a set each day, we have about 125 that, uh, that, that make the show happen every day, and that's just on the set. That's not the support staff at the studio or back in Los Angeles. So it takes a lot of people to pull off a show like this. Something that Zach was saying reminded me that, you know, the go into people's homes fairly often and you know you find a home that works and then you've got to go in and and completely transform it and then transform it back can you walk us through that process of walking into somebody's home well i have files that i keep of people's homes we will go i have i have five people in my department and we uh will go and we'll scout and we have a little form that we'll put on your uh, front door if you're not home or knock on your door and ask if you're interested in participating with Lost and if you'd uh, like to do that and we will typically our scouts will come in and they'll photograph your home and uh, we'll build a file I'll show that file to Zach our director John and we will uh, 
I'll call them up and say, hey, we'd like to come over this afternoon and take a look. And five or six of us get out of the van and we walk in and 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 we usually don't give people time to clean up their house. And, and they're somewhat embarrassed sometimes that we're going to walk through. But it's amazing that people will allow us in. And uh, we look uh, if they decide that this house is going to work for us. I will go back and talk to the homeowner and try to explain what it's going to be like. They don't really quite understand until it happens. And, uh, the, you know, the, the trucks come in the night before, and it's kind of like E.K. Fernandez shows up at your front door. And uh, we come marching in about 6.30 in the morning, and uh, my guys put out layout board on the ground. We do everything we possibly can to, uh, to keep the house and, you know, to put to, uh, keep the house in good shape and not do damage. Uh, to backtrack, usually Zach and his crew will come in and uh, first thing he usually wants to do is paint because he doesn't like white walls and most of us have white walls in our homes and he opens a folder and he'll say, oh, white walls. And I'm like, yeah, white walls. So we paint, uh, he'll, he'll have an idea for the decorator and the decorator will come in and change the furniture, set it up the way it, for what our needs are. Sometimes we'll use uh, some of the homeowner's furniture uh, and ours. Uh, we rarely use all of the homeowner's stuff. It's, it's, uh, it, it just doesn't, for some reason, we always seem to change everything to, to work for us. So uh, we come in, we do our filming for the day. We come in, we will repaint. Often we'll talk to a homeowner. Uh, if, we're, if we'd like to paint, we give them an, an option of what colors. If it works for us and works for them, they end up with a paint job on the house, and, and, and uh, we clean it up and uh, go on to our next set the next day and, uh, and leave it uh, as good or better than we find it is our goal. The uh, main reason why we would change the house is I believe that the uh, set becomes one of the characters. When you walk into a room, you should know whose room this is, which character it belongs to. So there's always a few things that we need to change. Uh, our decoration department would take photographs of the house as it looks before we change anything, and they would meticulously put it back in exactly the same order so that the owner would say, well, wait a minute, that object wasn't exactly there. It should be here. So, you know, there's quite a lot of detail goes into the preparation and you know, restoration of, of the location. One thing I always say is we live on an island. There's only so many places we can film, so we have to respect those places so we're allowed to come back because if we burn a location, as we say, then uh, before you know it, uh, we don't have a film industry here because no one wants us to come and film. So we work hard at uh, respecting the places we go. Sometimes uh, people would ask us to leave all the paint and the decoration behind. <laughs> <laughs> and do you do that? <laughs> yes, we do. Really? Well, there's been quite a few instances where, you know, Zach has chosen a color and the homeowner will be looking at the swatch and not like it, but when we're all done, they fall in love with it and we're very fortunate that they just, they just leave it alone. I want it. But in turn, can you fix my back door because it doesn't <laughs> And my faucets in the kitchen don't run properly. <laughs> That's great. So I think we have another clip, the bomb chamber, right? Maybe we can move on to that and that can stimulate some more discussion. Is there anything in there about how we're supposed to move a 10-ton bomb across the island? Actually, it's 20 tons. 
Unfortunately, it seems that Faraday never intended to print the device in its entirety. What? He left detailed instructions on how to remove the plutonium core and how to detonate it. Faraday told me that we needed to wipe out some kind of pocket of energy. Is only part of the bomb going to be enough to do that? The core itself is a thermonuclear weapon. It'll be more than enough. Hey, hey, wait. We sealed that thing up 20 years ago and we put it underground because it was emitting radiation. Does this sound like a good idea to you, Louise? Richard. You're pregnant. Which is exactly why we have to help them see this through. Once the core is removed, then what? Then we have approximately two hours to take it to the Swan site. Two hours? When Faraday returned to the island, he was very explicit about his timetable. Well then, we better get moving. Okay, walk us through that one. Interesting props there, too. Well, I'll start and say that was all on stage, so everything you saw there was, was built by these gentlemen here. Let me say, the difficulty in building that uh, per your comment, it was all on stage. You have to keep in mind at the same time, while we're trying to build this, we've got other sets on the sound stage that we're trying to film at the same time. So it really becomes a real thin line that you have to walk to try and pull this type of project off in the time frame that you have to do it in, is working around the shooting company, um, they're going to they're gonna film for 12 hours a day, so that doesn't leave you much time, you know, to get the project done. So it, it's tough. It's very tough to do. You know, the, uh, the most uh, shows of this size, or even smaller, have three stages. These guys do it with one stage. So the scheduling is just amazing. Do you try to construct while they're shooting and then it's quiet on the set when they roll the cameras, or are you simply constructing in the middle of the night? We're working through the night. We're also having guys work during the day in the shop, prefabbing and manufacturing components. Because you have to keep in mind, everything you see on film there, it's not something you run down to Ace Hardware and buy. You're not going to you know, buy the cart to house the bomb. You're not going to buy those crates. You're not going to... A lot of that stuff we've had to manufacture for set deck and, and props and everybody else. So you're working 24 hours a day. You know, the 12 hours you can't be on stage, you're in the shop, you're manufacturing everything you possibly can so that as soon as they wrap, the next wave of bodies go in and, and start working through the night. The uh, shooting crew would walk in the next morning and see a total new set and be uh, slightly disorientated. <laughs> Give us some more details on this set. You know, what we've got the construction, but I mean, you know, the props, all the details, the light, the fire. I mean, I, I don't have the greatest view under, under the screen here, so it looks like some fire in the background. Just kind of well, walk you know, us through. We use a lot of styrofoam, and it's kind of interesting to have that styrofoam sitting there. And all those torches going too. <laughs> no, just, what we just do hope is that it, nothing happens. You know? uh, because of the shapes and forms, uh, it's faster and easy for us to manufacture components out of one by three and Luon, which is quarter inch ply. 
we will make a frame and then attach however much of a distressed area that, that Zach's asking for. That'll depend on how thick the foam will be applied. And all we're using is a 1.25 bead foam that we purchase on the island, which, by the way, our vendor here on the island just loves us. Yeah. Um, I think we bought his second house in the Bahamas. We purchased so much from it. Um, but we will we will cut a lot of those components out, and it, it gives it more of the distressed, cracked look. But then we we hard coat it with a Structolite, which is a lighter uh, density cement. And I've literally. Um, shown some of my guys that are still sketchy on that and we've taken absolute propane torches and held it right to it and they're like you're gonna burn it down and watch and it gets warm but it, it won't burn the uh, design challenge for me was that we asked to do a vaulted chamber and i knew that the ancient architecture they didn't have vaults back then and I came up with the idea of doing it underground as if it was a cave that they carved the vault into the cave. So the combination between the carved rock and the rough uh, uh, cave stone was what, you know, that was the most interesting part. And then of course, how do you light something that's really dark, that's underground, and how do you work on a bomb with a torch right next to it? So, you know, the lighting was really difficult, and I would say uh, you know, that's mostly John. So he. He would ask us for a lot of lanterns, and we had torches in the back, and it's very difficult to shoot in low light, as you, as you know. Yeah, it's more like doing a wide, big wide shot to see the, see the size of the set, and then having to figure out where you're going to go with the, with the coverage, as we call it, going to the tight shots and, and making those work. But the wide shots, it's hard to get light in there, you know, and it's, uh, they don't, you know, it can't be too dark, because if you can't see what's going on, it's not good, you know. So it's hard to find a happy medium, but somehow we do. Um, uh, a lot of research went um, into the H-bomb. Uh, we had to come up with an idea how not to move such a big bomb around. And after a bit of research, I realized that the, uh, the hydrogen bomb is really two bombs within, uh, uh, one bomb within another bomb. So that gave us the idea to try and remove the core. And that's you know, taking a bit of license. At least we don't have to carry the 20-ton bomb around with us. And uh, the um, art director, Luke Freeborn, and myself did a lot of research. And I'm sure the FBI was watching our email. <laughs> <laughs> so we had to realize how the real bomb would work to be able to come up with a believable design. So uh, to me, it looks like it could really work. Even if we, you know, took a bit of license. How do you determine what gets built on? There's one soundstage, you know, and and there are a lot of there's various interiors competing for that space. How do you determine what gets built there? Is it schedule? You know, oh, yeah, <laughs> schedule and you know, on the soundstage, real estate is at its prime. Um, right about now, we've got a, an area that's cleared out for another set going in and a lot of our grips want to take the area over, you know, so you got to fight them back. But a lot of it is his sets on his layout of where they go on the stage, will they fit? And can we fold another set? Are the writers going to write that back in? Um, is it more practical for us to fold and hold it and move it off to the side to continue on? Um, 
that's when Gene gets involved and gives us a heads up. No, we're not going to see it for another three episodes, so broom it away and let, let's use the room. So it, it's a lot of collaboration from a lot of different people. Can you give us an example of how much information you get from the writers before you come up with a design concept, Zach? I mean, you just uh, last I heard a chamber, right? <laughs> so, is that about it, or do you get a little bit more description, or are you left to your own devices to come up with this visual image? The uh, writers do give us quite a bit of information. Uh, I think that episode said that they walked into this amazing-looking vaulted chamber, and it's full of military equipment. But from there, you know, the, uh, the, the rest is up to us. So, you know, I would do research, do a few sketches, uh, show the director, and take it from there. Uh, normally when you design a set, it's actually designing the shot. So it's not like you build a room and hope they're going to shoot it that way. You know, I would sit with the director and actually think, well, if they come in, you know, their point of view would be impressive. You need a very wide, long shot, so a long hallway would be great. Then you cut back closer to their faces. So someone, if you design every shot, the, uh, the room takes care of itself. It shapes around there. So you all need to really understand each other's jobs. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think we're out of clips. Is that correct? I so, so I think maybe we should open up to, this, to questions. Would that be good, good with you guys? Very good. All right. Do so we have to answer, though? No. <laughs> <laughs> you can do whatever you want. Yeah. I think this question's for the designer, actually. Um, you've done a great... Oh, sorry, yeah. This question's for the designer. You've done a great job of portraying uh, places like Tikrit, Seoul, Moscow, Phuket, uh, uh, Oxford, and I just want to know, is this uh, your own research, or do you have sometimes uh, independent advisors who tell you how to, you know, what a certain place should look like? That's my first question. Second question is, we have many scenes in Lost with hieroglyphic, uh, hieroglyphics. I want to know, do the writers tell you, put hieroglyphics here, no matter what they look like? Or are they saying, these are exactly the hieroglyphics you need to put because they're meaningful to the plot? That's my two questions. Um, okay. Um, could, could you repeat, just at least give an idea of what the sure. question was? That'd be great. Yeah, first question, uh, the, the amount of research that we go into all the different countries and if we use advisors. Yes, we do. Um, uh, we need uh, translators for all the languages. Korean translators, and uh, uh, I think we use Arabic advisors as well. And I have a, a, a very good a coordinator, uh, Michelle um, uh, Moorhead, and she does a lot of uh, research on the internet. So uh, she has two assistants that help her research as well. So the internet's been a wonderful help for all of this. <laughs> and then for the second question, uh, I'm about the Egyptian hieroglyphs. Um, the writers do ask for specific places, and they uh, are meaning in some of these hieroglyphs. And then, uh, after we've done quite a good job with all the research, and we're using an Egyptian uh, professor as an advisor, and we've got several books that we use, uh, they've now left a little bit up to us as well. So they would say we have a chamber with some hieroglyphs, and we come up with a lot of it too. As long as it uh, fits the plot and it uh, you know, ties in with the main storyline. But look out for those hieroglyphs. They do have me. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's kind of amazing because uh, speaking of the hieroglyphs, doing uh, the bomb chamber, we, I mean, my crew to cut those in, Zach's very good about giving us a full scale 
of how they're supposed to look, and they've got to be numbered because each one has a specific place in where it's at in the set. And they spent days carving these out. And they just seem to go on forever. You know, I've got some guys that just come in in the morning and say, please, no hieroglyphs for me today. I'll do anything else. <laughs> he doesn't know what he's carving in there, but there's a lot of it. Thank you. Yes, sir? I have a sort of two-sided question. Two questions. One, uh, I know that you guys film mainly on the island, but you've had to leave a couple of times, like to London, because one of the actors couldn't leave. And uh, But I want to know where the desert was. And then the other question I have is, how many gaffes, no matter how perfect you guys are, and you are, I, I watch this thing pretty much with a fine-tooth comb, but gaffes, I think I've only seen one, and maybe I'm wrong, but do you find them a little bit too late, or do you let them stay in just so people will catch them? What if well, Jim the, the first question on where the desert was located, it's uh, Miley Quarry on the west side, okay. and it's a coral quarry. And what we did is we went down into the quarry. We, we negotiated for them to stop the work for the day. We uh, used what they call a mat line, and that was the top of the quarry. Uh, so we were down inside of it, and our visual effects people on that line at the edge of the quarry, they built everything on computer outside of that and, and matched to what uh, the coral quarry looked like on the inside that gave it a great desert look. Okay. Then about all the... Uh uh, goofs. <laughs> um, we really try not to make it, and sometimes it's unavoidable with so many people, you know, working on the same project, and it's it's never intentional. Okay. <laughs> yeah. If uh, if we were to intentionally leave something that we knew was there, um, there's a beautiful lady in the back right there. Probably have your butt back on a plane to Los Angeles faster you can think, and and then we'd have to contend with him. So, no, they are not left intentionally. Yes, ma'am? Um, a lot has been said about the amount of scenes that you worked so hard on and then a lot ends up on the cutting room floor due to time. Will we as viewers ever have the opportunity after the series of Sunday to actually get a chance to see some of that stuff that I can't think that we've missed out on? Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. That's that's above our pay grade. So yeah. I, don't, <laughs> I, don't, I don't. We won't be making that decision. Over here. <laughs> uh, yes, ma'am. Congratulations to all of you. Uh, I have a question. My first question is for Jim. How many countries have you created in Oahu, and which one was the most difficult challenge, and why? Well, I don't. I can't tell you. I'm sorry. The the, the question was was how many countries have we recreated uh, here on Oahu uh, in our show? And uh, more than a dozen, I'm sure. I don't have a running count. Uh, it seems like we've visited. Uh, we've gone all around the world in the show, and uh, they are each difficult in their own way, and they are each difficult for each department in their own way. Uh, I think of what I try to do is present a nice stage for these guys to, to work off of. So I try to give them something and between the visual effects, the designer, the construction department, the greens department, and all of our departments together uh, create uh, that look. So uh, we've done England, we've done Thailand as you've seen, uh, we've been to Africa, we've just, we've been around the world and 
Um, it's it's a it's it says a lot about Oahu as a film location uh, uh, for companies to come here and they think that we're all beaches and, and jungles and yet we can pull off doing London and uh, all the deserts and which uh, naturally we don't have but uh, it's uh, it's a testament to have companies come and film here. Uh, maybe I can add to that. Uh, London has been very difficult because of the palm trees and the weather. <laughs> and the vehicles are all on the wrong side of the road. <laughs> yeah, but but in our in our show we've done like uh, Buffalo, New York in the winter, and and you know things that you would Berlin, right, or Berlin, and uh, uh, so we we've we've accomplished some some neat stuff on the show, and that's part of the fun of working on a show like this. Yes, there's a oh, oh I'm sorry, you have another. Yeah, the second question okay. <laughs> is for John as a director of photography. Which is your favorite moment on the show in the show, and why? My favorite moment of the show? Yeah. I, uh, you know, I don't think I can answer that. There's a lot of them. But uh, I just can't think of one particular one. Uh, you always get really excited when something works out and, the, and the, the lighting and the acting comes together and everything works. And uh, every now and again we get one of those. But I can't think of a real favorite one. Uh, yes, sir, in the blue? Yeah. 75 years ago, King Kong was made. There's still arguments over how some of the scenes were shot. Is there any uh, effort on your part or anyone's part to historically document this uh, effort of yours over the last five and a half years? Well, we have, uh, I'll start that. There's a gentleman named Greg Nations who has a Bible, or he has created a Bible for the show. So it's a timeline. It uh, He documents uh, the whole show. When we as a production company get a, a script or as a shooting crew, uh, we read that and we often have to refer to him or call him and ask him uh, the times and if it's uh, written correctly, there's uh, often, or I shouldn't say often, but sometimes there's, uh, there's mistakes in the writing as far as the timelines go. So he keeps a Bible that we can all refer to and uh, he's done a real good job of doing that. Yes, ma'am. Uh, yes, could uh, you briefly, each one of you, just uh, talk a little bit for the young people in, in, in the uh, audience about how you got where you got. I mean, did some of you go to film school, or did you work as carpenters uh, for many years? Just well, so they have an idea. As far as I'm concerned, with me, the judge told me either do the show or... <laughs> <laughs> the, the question was how they got where they got. No, I'm just kidding. Really? <laughs> <laughs> um, I've been in construction building for almost 30 years. Well, no, I've already hit the 30-year mark. Um, uh, I, I was remodeling homes in Beverly Hills. I owned a construction company. And, and a friend of mine is a designer. And he saw what we could do in a limited amount of time and what we could pull off in... This was years ago, and he said, I really think you'd do good Hollywood. And sat down and talked to him about it, and it was, I never turned back. I'm from a family of architects and engineers, and I thought uh, submarines and spaceships and bombs seem a lot more interesting. <laughs> uh, I started out in theater, uh, went from theater to television, and um, as a lighting gaffer, I did that for uh, 10 years, 
and then I started shooting my own stuff and doing music videos, commercials, and then gradually worked to uh, doing episodic television. Well, I started in the business as a production assistant, which is an entry-level position, uh, and at, at, uh, I started doing that, and I've worked my way through different jobs uh, in the industry, and uh, just kept at it, and tried different things, and uh, liked living here in Hawaii, and a lot of people want to be discovered by Hollywood and taken away and off to foreign lands to work, and I'm happy living here, and uh, thought the location business would be a, a good fit for me and after trying uh, different departments I ended up in the location department as an assistant and uh, worked my way up to uh, have the opportunity to do a show like this. And I still work in a cubicle. No. <laughs> yes sir. There's a chamber scene with Faraday's mother when Jack and the group are starting to, uh, starting to return. Was that a staged set, or was that a, is that a building location? Uh, that was that was built on stage. I think you're referring to the lamppost with the swinging pendulum. Yes, yes. Uh, that was a set that, that we built on stage. So Zach Zach built the set, but we actually we had an exterior to that. The exterior, right? Which which was uh, St Andrews. Oh, I'm sorry, it was uh, on Wiley Avenue. It's the it's. Uh, St. Saint Patrick's, yeah, yes, Patrick. exactly, thank you. Uh, we'd go to a lot of places. Uh, so it was, that was St. Patrick's, and uh, that was our exterior that we shot at night. And then uh, as we walked through the door, uh, we, we used their cathedral and then walked through a door, and we landed in Zach's world on stage, and uh, he built that, that fabulous set. Mike built it. I just made the drawing. <laughs> <laughs> yes, ma'am? My staff would like to know where the Swan Station is. Which one? The, the Swan. The Swan Station? Yeah. Uh, the uh, Swan Station has been blown up and destroyed. Back to where we won't go back to it. <laughs> yes, in the blue? Uh, Y'all talked a little about uh, molding and holding the sets. Uh, and uh, I can't think of anything. like the pilot, uh, but I know that Yes, we actually did set some of it back up. We uh, looked at some footage and, and realized that we can do some backgrounds uh, uh, using footage that we had previously and then created foreground elements like a part of the wing and a part of the engine with a blue screen in the background that we, you know, superimposing the background, the previous footage. So, you know, some of the set was built again on the beach. Great job. Thank you. Yes, sir. And screen. Um, I just had a question about whether if you guys had any uh, day for night scenes or night for day scenes. Of, I know that that becomes like a difficult uh, thing uh, when either in soundstage or at night. I was just wondering how uh, what were the difficulties for doing that? 
Well, I can say we, we do shoot we do shoot day for night and and night for day and typically we we just went into a home and filmed and part of it was written at night and we uh, generally try to not work in neighborhoods until all hours we try to keep it until about 10 o'clock at night uh, so sometimes we physically can't uh, achieve that much work so the grips will come in and they will tent over uh, with with black tarping they'll come over and they'll 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 build a grid and they'll tent over windows and doors and then John will come in and uh, he'll light everything for that and uh, so we'll be shooting at 12 noon and it you know looks like it's midnight so uh, we will do that, and, and John will also, you know, light uh, sets, you know, for daytime that when it's night. So he, uh, we achieve both and do it quite often. Yes, uh, Jim, I've always admired your work on the shows. I just think it's incredible some of the stuff you find. I've always wondered how big a problem is jealousies for you. Is pardon me? Jealousies that we have in Hawaii oh, yes. because they're not all over. That's that's uh, Zach could speak to that. Uh, it's it's not difficult for me because I don't have to deal with them. Uh, Zach, uh, you want to you want to speak about quite a, quite a few uh, places we visited. We've had to remove the uh, the glass in the frame, the metal frame, leaving the opening, and have to actually build our own frames. Uh, build our own uh, sash and everything and make new windows for whatever area of the, you know, the world that we're in. You know, but yeah. Don't it, break when you take them out? No. Break, no, but we do have breakaway jealousy uh, that we do. I have breakaway glass that we can throw things through. <laughs> you know, Curly's been known to do that. So, but yeah, we definitely have to remove quite a few of them. Uh, uh, that's not the only problem. We also have problems with the uh, tea leaf and some of the cocoa. <laughs> so, so you know, our greens department have to hide things and have to tie up bushes with netting and put something over it. We're we're constantly avoiding palm trees. Like when we're trying to do scenes in New York, and even if you go down to Alakea or Bishop Street, there's very tight angles you could, you have to shoot to stay away from from palm trees and and trees that aren't indigenous to those places that we're, we're traveling to on our show. And uh, one, one thing that, that was designed is we actually have a, a rubber wrap that we wrap around the base of a, of a coconut tree that looks like a, uh, you know, an oak tree. And so it'll be maybe 12 or 15 feet high, and we stay under that height, and it looks like the base of a, of, of a different kind of tree. So yeah, we we've do. Got, we've had to manufacture, and we've got in the shop, uh, coverings for palm trees to turn them into uh, redwoods, uh, fir trees, uh, pretty much anything you need. But like Jim said, we have to keep it to a specific height because once we start getting up there, it's really unstable. And so John has helped us out. We're just tip the camera a little bit so we can stay under that height frame. Yes? How hard is it working with the military, like the Barber's Point or the sub that's so much Pearl Harbor Base? How hard is that working with them? Well, this, the... Pardon me? Oh, uh, the, the question was, was how is it working with the military and, and uh, the submarine that, that we uh, have filmed before. And uh, they, 
we, we worked with the Coast Guard. Uh, they were very cooperative. Uh, they, were, they were anxious to be a part of the show. Uh, we, we contacted their office in Los Angeles, uh, uh, asked them for, for uh, told them what we wanted to do, and within a week we had permission. They were flying a C-130 around for us. Uh, they rode a training mission and uh, landed the plane for us, uh, taxied out there at uh, Barber's Point, uh, drove it or, you know, taxied it over to the, uh, over to the hangar and we filmed inside of it and uh, had all of our cast come out of it as they were being rescued. So uh, they were very cooperative and uh, they're, they're a pleasure to work with, as, as is the, uh, the submarine uh, at Pearl Harbor has, has worked out well for us because we, we, we got our script saying that we were going to be in a submarine and we all kind of looked at each other going, you know, uh, Mike, how are you going to build a submarine, you know? And I must say he did build a submarine because he's built the exterior of it that we uh, see out at Kulo Ranch. And when the sub arrives, uh, that's in the Kulo Ranch fish pond and that's made out of foam. And uh, he floats it, so it, he, uh, we, we see it in the script. And uh, two days later, Mike's out there in the pond uh, rearranging the dock so it looks like the way we want it and uh, drives the submarine out and puts it in the water. And uh, we shoot that element. And then we uh, will, two days later, go over to the bowfin and, and film inside of that and uh, cut it together and make it look uh, believable. I, th I think we had the actors go into the submarine one at a time because there was only room for one actor inside. And that submarine is for sale <laughs> next spring, <laughs> along with everything else on the show. Uh, yes, sir, over here. How do you know about recreating some of the different weapon types? Like uh, when Desmond was in the army captain's board, right? Did you repeat the question? Could you guys repeat the question? The question was, was how did we create the rain effect uh, for Desmond when he was in the army? And he was going through uh, flashbacks, and that scene was was shot in two places. At that was on part of that was on stage at Diamond Head, and the other scene was uh, done inside Diamond Head Crater. And so it was obviously pretty dry at Diamond Head Crater. And uh, our special effects uh, puts up rain towers, we call them, and hooks them into a fire hydrant, and has rain towers that he just flips a switch and it starts raining and. We, uh, we, we pick our angles, or I should say John picks his angles and, and uh, create rain in that area. And if you go two feet over, it's dry and the crew is standing there. And uh, right there, Desmond's uh, in the mud doing push-ups. So. Yeah, that, that's the beauty of, of Hollywood rain is with the rain towers, you can direct pretty much where you want the rain to happen to where the crew can stay relatively dry while everyone else is getting soaked. Yeah. That was a sunny day, too. <laughs> Yes. I, I'm sorry to ask another question, but this is, uh, I know that the first few seasons were supposed to take place in just three months or so, and unfortunately little kids grow fast, like Walt did, and I was just wondering, when they filmed that scene, had you guys filmed that way ahead of time, uh, when he's in the boat with his dad leaving, because he's a little kid there, and we know that he was three years older. Uh, was that all filmed at the same time as the conclusion of that last episode, when... Uh, I think it was season three. I think so, yeah. Really? How'd they do that? <laughs> yeah, I think when he was taken with the boat, he was, that, we, we, 
didn't shoot out of order. I mean, it, that we get a script, you know, ten days before, and, and we never know what it's going to be. And so it, it'd be nice if we knew what was going to happen, you know, six or eight episodes ahead of time. But uh, we don't. So um, he didn't grow too fast, luckily. <laughs> but he has now. Yeah. <laughs> um, this is kind of a build out to her question because I'm just always intrigued by all of the work that you do. And then you said, you know, you watch it on screen, you're like, but there was like two other buildings that we worked on, you don't see it in the shot. And you talk about uh, striking sets, which are like destroying them forever and stuff. Can you think specifically of sets that you've built that weren't even used or that you, you know, they might not even make it on the DVD, but anything in the back of your head that you were particularly proud of that uh, people don't know about because it didn't make it on the air? Most of the sets we've built have made it. There's probably one or two. Um, I can't even remember. Uh, I think it was because they changed the uh, plot line. That was the reason that we, you know, but it wasn't. A, it was mainly like an office or something. But what does get uh, hard is that uh, one of the uh, stations that we built, for example, the Pearl or one of the other stations, will never be back. They say, and then we get rid of it because we don't have enough space. And the next episode. There it is, and you have to build the same thing again. <laughs> so, so, so that's a lot of extra work. Yeah. In the previous seminar, Gene Higgins mentioned buying an L-1011. Can you talk about what it took to get that here and plop it on a public beach? Well, uh, yeah. I, I was uh, involved with the pilot, and Gene Higgins, uh, I was working on a small Japanese commercial, which was a, the size of a... There was three people on the crew, and basically driving them around doing beauty shots of Oahu. And Jean called and said that uh, she was from a, a project named Lost, and that she would uh, it was looking for a location manager and and uh, wanted to put a plane on the beach. And could I come in and meet her? And I said, Sure. I'm uh, just finishing up today. I'll be glad to come by tomorrow. And uh, went and met with her and and discussed putting a plane on the beach and what would it would take to do that. And uh, I uh, was hired and we called up DLNR and she uh, and another producer and Archie Ahuna, who's our special effects, uh, went down with myself and we pleaded our case uh, to DLNR about putting a plane on the beach and had to go through various steps to make sure that there were no hazardous materials on the plane and uh, go through a uh, that and uh, I honestly didn't know what I was getting myself into when I when I said yes to that job offer. I uh, didn't know that it was going to be an L ten eleven. They 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 cut it apart in the desert in in Nevada and put it on flat racks and in barges and shipped it over here. And I stood out there at Mokalaia, uh waiting for it to arrive. And the trucks started coming, and uh, there were trucks uh, further than the eye could see. Loaded, loaded, and the person that cut the plane up was not the person hired to put the plane together. <laughs> so there was, there was really no. Uh, it wasn't, it wasn't numbered. It was like just a bunch of containers that we started lining up out at Dillingham Airfield and uh, started pulling it out and uh, started putting it together. And Archie was there to uh, weld it and to, to put the thing back together and. Uh, it was a it was a, a a big undertaking, and when we were done with the pilot, uh, nobody knew if the show was going to be picked up or not. And we, they, you know, we we packed everything up, uh, put it into storage, 
uh, cleaned the beach, left it uh, clean, and, and uh, DLNR came out and inspected it. And uh, they all jumped on an airplane and said, hope to see you soon. And uh, a couple of months went by, and I got a phone call, and they said, we're picked up. We'll be back, and we're going to put the plane back on the beach. And I was like, all right. How far away was the front part of the plane? Well, we the the cockpit was on was uh, on the windward side in the jungle, and the rest of the body and the wing and the engine that you saw on, on uh, a portion of the pilot was uh, out of Mokalaia. Yes. And, um, this is Jacob's cabin being set on fire. Yes, we did. Yeah, we did. That baby burned to the ground. No way, really. <laughs> no, it didn't burn completely just for the shot. The front porch was still somewhat intact, but 80% of it, yeah, it was really torched. It's not disassembled. Like, do you, is that like four walls that you then put together for the set at the time? At the time, no, it was a, it was a complete cabin. It, it started out as an interior on stage and an exterior out in the jungle that kind of morphed into one and then we started relocating it in different areas and I was glad to see it burn. <laughs> <laughs> we put that thing up and down so many times there there wasn't a good laugh. Yes, you had a question. The red? Yes. The red, yes. yes. Well, I have a, a couple questions. She just reminded me of something to do with Jacob's cabin. Um, Jacob's cabin also the same cabin that Rose and Bernard used because it looked kind of the same with a little. No, no, it wasn't the same. Yeah, okay. All right. Well, the other question I had was about you said that um, you know getting permission to go into people's homes, um, and they really didn't have a concept of what's going to be all involved with you filming in their homes and things. And this may be true for businesses also. Have you ever had to go back to the these homes and businesses? And they said, no, we don't want you coming back to, you know, well, the first part of that question is, is, Rarely are most of the time we're welcome back. We, you know, it's it's a it's a learning curve for the homeowner. They're they're scared to death at the beginning when they see us all coming and they think that their house is going to be destroyed. Uh, by lunchtime, they see that we're uh, we know what we're doing and we're we're taking care of the home and and uh, by the end of the day, they feel like it was a great experience and and are generally uh, fine with it and and, and happy and and. Uh, we don't always know if we're going to be written back into a house or not. Uh, Kate's house was in Kahala. Uh, we went into it, found it, talked to them, said, you know, this, this may, we may want to come back again. Uh, we have been back there eight or ten times. Uh, it's worked out well. Uh, we do recreate uh, looks in a house. Uh, we just... Uh, had a set that we shot last week that I'm not going to tell you what it was or I won't have a job at the end of the day. But uh, the, the, the location was not available to us and uh, we went into a home to shoot a different scene and Zach and Mike recreated the room that was, that was at an old location in the home 
and uh, and then restored it, and and uh, we just finished doing that, and uh, they tried. They try to make sure that uh, it's down to every detail, and, and uh, so. Um, yeah, there was a woman in the back, and then yeah, you, yes. Yeah. Have you noticed, uh, what changes have you noticed, or do you expect from changes in government staffing in the Hawaii, state Hawaii uh, film office, or the local film office, or PLNR? Well, I'll speak about the state film office. Uh, we really would have a tough time if we could do it at all, do our show without the film office. Uh, as I said earlier, the film office uh, is, it does all, has all the contacts for governmental uh, permitting. Uh, it, they, they allow us to, to facilitate all these areas. So uh, we are going to be hard pressed to operate without some sort of a film office uh, here. And uh, it's funny because the film office is actually one of our uh, offices that governmental offices that actually brings in money to the state in these times. So uh, I certainly hope that they work through their uh, their crisis that they're in right now. Yes, sir. The Quick question on location houses. Do you put a contract uh, stipulation that you can go in even if there's a, a subsequent owner, or do they have to just Well, we have a we have a, a contract, a location contract that we uh, ask the homeowners to sign. Uh, it it does uh, state that if we'd like to come back to the home a couple of days later, say if we have some damaged film, if uh, we don't we we have a, a scene that we didn't complete, uh, we it, it it stipulates that we'd like to come back and we work out a time with the homeowner uh, to do that, but. Uh, that generally doesn't happen, that we're forced to go back, uh, but uh, that is part of the part of the deal that we try to strike with, with the homeowner. I think we have time for one or two more questions. Anybody else? Yes, sir? Um, I don't know if this is a question for the director or one of you. I'll try to speak up. Uh, uh, and uh, my memory may be incorrect in this scene. There's a scene uh, in season five where Hurley's driving around like crazy. And uh, he gets stopped by a cop car, and it's uh, a vision of, or it is, Ana Lucia. And uh, we see that the, the environment is a busy street with cars. And then an, an, at one point, we either look in the rearview mirror or in, we see outside the window. And it looks like a whole different location, as if it was, uh, we, we were not in that street anymore. It, was that intentional, or was this a something, filming error, or what, what, what was that? And am I just... Not remembering correctly. <laughs> um, I don't believe it was intentional. It's just possible that that scene could have been done on the other side of the road where it was calmer for traffic. Okay. Uh, you know, sometimes we have to move uh, the um, shooting of the inside of the car to a little bit quieter area because you don't need to see everything around you. Oh, okay. Okay. Thank you. It could have been done at another time. Yeah. But if those shots usually tie in to the person that's in the car. We don't just do a shot on the mirror. Okay. And, and sound is an issue for us, so it's, it's difficult for our sound man to work on a busy street with cars going by and, and, and horns honking, although you think that's normal sound. Uh, they like to get a clean recording, and then they add what sounds they want you to hear okay. around the dialogue. So uh, that could have had something to do with okay, it, too. Okay, thank you. Okay. All right, last one. Yes? 
the green? Um, I I was just wondering what uh, was the biggest location that you guys actually had to go because uh, if my memory serves, it might have been the the convention center when you guys did the airport scene. Um, did you guys have any bigger place that you guys had to convert from those things? Or? We, we have filmed all over the island. We've, as a company, we've filmed in Halava Prison. We've filmed, as you mentioned, in uh, the, the convention center. Uh, I drive down the road and go, been there, been there, been there, been there, you know. And we're constantly looking for new locations because a director doesn't want to shoot something that everybody else has shot. So we get in that van and he's like, he wants to see new stuff. So we've been, we've been everywhere. And... Uh, you know, we Barber's Point with the with the Coast Guard uh, was was a huge set for us to to shoot, and uh, so the uh, convention center was the Sydney airport, but the Los Angeles airport was done at the at the pier. Two. Yes, we we did pier two, and and often and Heathrow, right? And and often you'll you'll we'll go to three or four places, and in the and in the show it'll all be seamless, and it'll look like you're in one spot. So. Uh, so it's sometimes several locations that look like uh, the LAX or uh, the Sydney airport. Jim had a big challenge a while ago. We went to Honolulu airport. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's not as easy filming the airport these days as it used to be uh, with TSA. But I must say with, uh, with the airport's cooperation, the airport managers, with TSA, uh, we managed to do it. Uh, it was a, a, It took us about a week of going back and scheduling around flights and trying to uh, film around the baggage claim areas, and uh, it was a challenge. But uh, as usual, we've we managed to do it as a company and pull it off, and uh, we'll be seeing it this season. Easier to build the airport than shoot at the actual airport. <laughs> but if they asked them, they'd build it. <laughs> well, if we could give a nice round of applause for Mike Burrow, Matt Goldman, John Bartley, and Jim Triplett.